Well, thanks for that introduction, Dan. Uh, before I get started, I just want to, on behalf of all of us from Jacobswell, I want to congratulate Trish and Dan on the birth of Cooper. You guys bless us so immensely, and I hope that uh, we can pitch in and help you out and bless you as you get settled here. So, Okay. The age does come with a problem. It's called vision. Okay, Elizabeth Howard grew up as a missionary kid and believed that God, as an adult, was going to call her to the mission field. In college, she met Jim Elliott, who also felt called to missions long term. Well, Elizabeth and Jim eventually married in 1953 and soon after had a daughter, Valerie. Jim and four others performed outreach to the secluded tribe of Alka Indians in Ecuador, and in 1956, Jim and his missionary team were murdered by the Alcas. This, this left a young wife, Elizabeth, uh, as a widow, and Valerie as a daughter who would never know her father nor have any, any memories of her father. This tragic turn of events brought upon a great deal of suffering for Elizabeth and v Valerie Elliott. Well, the Bible teaches us that we live in a fallen world and that the devastation of sin is the cause for our suffering. Miscarriages occur, our loved ones die before we expect them to, and terrorists run 747s into buildings with the sole intent to murder as many people as possible. And each of us, in our experience in events and times, we're going to suffer. We're going to feel pain and suffering. It's inevitable. In fact, the Bible clearly teaches us to expect it. And many times, we have no control over the circumstances that brings suffering upon us. However, each of us, when we are in the middle of our suffering, we desire comfort, and we'd like that comfort right now instead of later. And through those times of suffering, we constantly ask, why does God allow pain and suffering? And the logical follow-up question to this is, how are we to find comfort during these times? Well, today, we're going to take a look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians to see what the scriptures can teach us on what is a very, very delicate topic. Well, the Corinthian church had come through some very, very difficult times. Uh, there was numerous internal divisions that had occurred. There was a bunch of false teachers that were teaching a bunch of false doctrine. And there was a lot of absolute gross immorality that had occurred. Now, many in the church at that time had realized this and they had repented, but there was still a lot of hurt feelings and tension amongst the body at Corinth. And Paul knew this. And so Paul wrote this letter so that he could try to comfort the Corinthians. And, and I think that Paul's done an awful good job of explaining what that comfort would look like. So if you'd please open your Bibles to the Second Corinthians chapter 1. And I think that's on page 964 in the Red Bible. Is that correct? And let's read together the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And let's see the comfort that Paul and the Corinthians have and which we can also have in Jesus Christ in the midst of our suffering. So starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, that the specific teaching that you want us to hear and the specific application that you want us to apply would become evident and clear to us, and that as we leave here today, we would be able to see it, feel it, and apply it in our lives, all in an effort to bring honor and glory to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. That water really helps. Paul was an authority on suffering. Let's take a closer look at verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Given his wealth of experience in suffering, it may be worthwhile to see what Paul's view was on the subject. So back to my original question. Why does God allow suffering in our life? Well, while the answers we see in this passage are not comprehensive, and much of it is still going to be a mystery to us, there are two things that we can glean from the text. One, God allows suffering in our life for the benefit of other people. And secondly, God allows suffering in our life for our own benefit. Now, you're probably wondering, how could this possibly be true? How can my suffering have any benefit for others, let alone benefits for myself? Let's take a look. Read with me verses 6 and 7. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. I believe that Paul is specifically telling us here that we suffer to bring benefit of, to bring the benefit of comfort to those around us. And I also think that as we experience God's comfort in our suffering, he is preparing us and he's developing in us the ability to comfort others who are suffering. Mark Hilgendorf is a very close friend of mine. We've been involved in the same men's Bible study and accountability group for over 10 years now. Mark's mom was diagnosed and treated for cancer in early 2010. 
In mid-September, it appeared that her final days were at hand, and she requested that she be allowed to die without any further treatment. The family gathered together to spend their final days with her, but amazingly, she held on for 19 days, despite the fact that she was not eating or drinking. Now, during those 19 days, I talked to Mark Daly. We discussed a wide range of topics, and I could hear the suffering in his voice. He struggled with why his mother's suffering was going on for such a long period of time. But Mark found comfort. He found it in the scriptures. And at his mom's eulogy, he shared Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. Mark was comforted in knowing that his mother had placed her trust in Jesus and was able to approach death with confidence in her salvation. Well, then how did Mark comfort others? Well, it started with his mom. First, he wrote her a letter, which he was eventually able to read to her, and he shared in his letter how much he loved her and thanked her for all that she had done for him in his life. He also got a chance to hold her hand, pray with her, and sing hymns for her, with her before she died. Mark also comforted his dad, uh, who was now trying to cope and deal with the loss of his wife, who he had been married to for over 60 years. So he went on a long road trip with his dad to attend his father's 60th college reunion. He took his dad up north uh, and spent time in the North Woods, which an area that both of them really enjoy. And he took him out for dinner, shared, shared his childhood uh, memories, uh, and, and just had a, a great opportunity to spend some quality time with his dad. Mark also had a chance to comfort his sisters uh, in coping with the loss of their mother. Uh, he helped the family reconnect, and over time, the siblings had, had drifted apart some, and each came away from the experience with a renewed desire to spend more time together as a family on a more regular basis. So Mark was able to comfort others who were suffering because Mark had experienced comfort from God in his suffering. So you see, it's through our experience receiving the comfort of God in the midst of our suffering that enables us to comfort others in their suffering. Bottom line, unless we suffer, we will not be able to comfort others. So, how are you using your suffering to bring comfort to others? Well, I think it starts with understanding God's grace and his work in comforting us during our suffering. His comfort and his grace change us, our hearts first, from the inside out. Practically, how does comforting someone look like? Well, it looks like taking someone out to lunch who is, difficult, who is having some difficulty at work or has recently lost their job and is having some trouble finding a job. It looks like going on a double date with a couple that has just moved to the area like the Fricks uh, and is struggling to make friends and getting connected. It looks like calling someone on the phone and asking them how they're coping after they have lost a loved one unexpectedly. Many of us experience the same or similar sufferings. We need to seek out those who have suffered over the same issues as we have, and then we need to share our story of suffering with them. You see, it's our ability to comfort in these situations is greatly increased when we've experienced God's comfort 
in similar suffering. When we are actively comforting others, our focus will be outward versus inward on ourselves, and our desire will be to spend more time on our knees praying for them and not necessarily for ourselves. There's another spot there in verse 9. It talked about for their salvation. What does this mean for their salvation? Well, I don't think it means that Paul's suffering earned salvation for the Corinthians. Christ's death alone is sufficient to save us, and Paul's suffering can't add anything to the redemptive process. But I do think it means a couple things. As Paul suffered, the first thing that he did was share Jesus with the Corinthians. And the hardships that Paul endured were meant to encourage the Corinthians in their Christian walk and show them the way of salvation through Christ. You see, he was promoting the spiritual welfare of the Corinthian believers through his trials. And he was trying to build them up in their faith. One more time. Johnny Erickson Tata was a typical 17-year-old who had just graduated from high school. She did not feel that her life was moving in the right direction, and so she prayed to God to change her path so that she could draw closer to God. Shortly after that prayer, she suffered a broken neck during a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. Uh, Johnny suffered through deep depression, and at one point in her recovery, she lost her will to live. After months of physical and emotional struggle, she began to feel God's comfort and wondered if the situation she was in was God's answer to her prayer. Through God's grace, Johnny became uh, healed and she began to share her experience publicly and soon became a popular speaker. And as I read her story while I was preparing for the sermon, I was touched by several things. I see God using her suffering to answer her prayer. Not maybe the way that she was thinking or would have liked, but certainly to answer her prayer. I see our deliverer raise her up from the lowest of lows, empower her to use her suffering to share her love of Jesus with thousands of people. And I see God glorified through her. And I'm encouraged by her suffering. And I pray that I can live out my suffering as she has. So what does it look like when you suffer? Is your focus on yourself or is it on others? Do you point others to Jesus in the midst of your suffering? Well, I need to confess to you this morning, I have struggled using my suffering to bring comfort to others. Last Memorial Day, one of our associates at Lindquist Machine, Mark Reinhardt, died of heart failure at the age of 38. He left behind a pregnant wife, Jody, and a nine-year-old son. Mark and I had a very close relationship. I had hired him five years earlier and he was our purchasing leader and an excellent project leader. I had targeted Mark as my successor. I felt that he had the skills to one day lead the company, and I was looking forward to mentoring him. You see, he was my transition to retirement. When Mark died, I did not want God's comfort. I wanted answers to my questions. My questions looked like this. God, why would you do this to this family? And the second question, which I'm totally embarrassed by, uh, it was so selfish. God, why did you wreck my succession plan? And I couldn't let this go. Uh, this uh, bothered me for months. I struggled with it emotionally, and it really did impact my performance. 
Then uh, one afternoon, Jody brought the newborn daughter, Carly, to visit at Lindquist. And I had a chance to hold Carly, and she was a real smiler. Uh, and I had a chance to see Jody, and, I, and she was so happy. She was so joyful. Jody was doing great. And it was at that point that God convicted me of my sin. You see, my selfishness had led me to an inward focus on myself, and I had become a victim. I was not in a spot where I could comfort those around me and comfort those who needed it, like Jody and our co-workers. And honestly, no one was seeing Jesus in my struggle. But once I repented, I was able to finally feel God's comfort, put Mark's death behind me, and move on and move forward in my life. So you see, the one reason that God allows suffering in our lives is for the benefit of others, for their comfort and for their salvation. But God also allows suffering in our lives for our own benefit. Take a look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. See, the first benefit we receive from God in our suffering is knowing the great comforter. The NIV uses the word compassion in place of the word mercies. It's God's compassion that's God's love that seeks us out, it extends out to us, and it transforms us from the inside out, us sinners. And out of God's compassion flows his comforting love to those who are hurting, to those who need it. And in our hour of need, and when we need it, he delivers every single time. You see, it's God's nature to always be comforting. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul states in these verses that our sufferings produce endurance, character, and hope. Who would not want more of all three of these? Allowing suffering is part of God's plan to save us and to sanctify us sinners, you and me. And he uses sufferings to teach us, to build us up in Christ, and to encourage us to persevere in him. And he handles all of it. There's no hardship too great or too small in which God cannot supply the comfort we need. What comforts did Paul receive from Christ during his suffering? Well, God received, or Paul received God's presence through the Holy Spirit. He received God's grace. And he received hope. Paul's hope for his reward to be found in heaven. Now, each of us knows and each of us can have those same comforts that Paul received as well. You see, the comfort that we receive from Christ far, far outweighs the suffering that we endure for our faith. Um, the theologian John Calvin's view was that, and I quote, God multiplied Paul's consolation according to the measure of his tribulations. And I believe that the message here is knowing that the Comforter is our greatest good. So it's worth suffering just to know him more 
and experience Him to a greater extent than we had before. My oldest daughter, Caitlin, was diagnosed with celiac disease at age two. Celiac disease is the inability to process the protein gluten, which is found in wheat, oat, barley, and rye. The more gluten she ate, the sicker she became. And as her ability to, as her ability to absorb those nutrients that she needed was compromised. Undiagnosed, a person with celiac can starve to death. Well, prior to the diagnosis, we watched Caitlin's weight drop from the 95th percentile to the 5th percentile. Her rib cage showed through her skin and her stomach became distended and she looked a lot like some of the malnourished children from third world countries that you see uh, on TV a lot. For several months, the doctors were not able to pinpoint the problem. Uh, Caitlin grew more sick and continued to lose weight and Nina and I felt helpless. In our attempt to comfort Caitlin, Nina during the day and I after after dinner at night, we would put our arms we'd put our arms around her and hold her tight. You'd think I'd done this ten times, I should be able to get through this. Um, we'd put our arms around her and we would hold her tight and rock her to sleep. We told her that we loved her more than she could possibly imagine, that we would never let her go, and that she would never be alone. We would be with her every step of the way. You see, Caitlin, she directly experienced Nina and I as comforters through her suffering. Comforting Caitlin in her suffering changed our relationship with her. Caitlin and I experienced each other in a way that we could not have unless she had suffered. It brought us closer together. It strengthened the bond between us. And the same was true in Nina and Caitlin's relationship as well. And in the same way, when we suffer, we can experience God as our comforter. I think this illustration is a picture of how God comforts us. He puts his arms around us. He tells us that he loves us more than we can possibly understand. And he will never let us go. And he will be with us every step of the way for eternity. God uses our suffering to strengthen our faith and our relationship with Jesus. And we need to believe in the comforter that Paul describes here and that he models for us, for the saints, to the saints at Corinth, and for us as well. So think of the areas and the times in your life when you have suffered. These were and still may be opportunities to more fully know God and experience him as a comforter. A pastor in New York City named Tim Keller once pointed out that if you ask people who had gone through a tremendous time of suffering, sickness, job loss, They would not wish it on anyone else, nor would they wish it on themselves again. But, and there's always a but, they would not trade their suffering for anything in the world. Why? Because it was in their sufferings that they grew closest to the great comforter. So God allows us to suffer so we know the great comforter, but he also wants us to know the great deliverer. Let's take a closer look at verses 9 and 10 again. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. See, Paul had reached a point in his life where he was certain that he was going to die. 
he was in such great danger that he could not stop death from coming. And he had reached a point where he had abandoned any self-reliance and was completely dependent on God alone. Only God could get Paul out of the circumstance that he faced at the time. Good news, God did deliver Paul from the circumstance that he faced. In this case, it was death. And Paul has the confidence that God will continue to deliver him again and again, preserving Paul until his work on earth is complete. It's through our suffering and God's deliverance in the midst of our suffering that we have the confidence in his ultimate and final deliverance. You see, God, suffering is not new to our Lord. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was sinless. Yet he experienced brutality, torture, and a slow, painful, and horrific death at the cross. His suffering was by far worse than any of us have ever experienced, either individually or collectively. Yet he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for us, taking the punishment of our sin, which required death, suffering and giving us his righteousness, his perfect life, so we can stand before God holy and righteous. Many times when we experience suffering, it comes as a surprise. We can't control the timing or the circumstances. If we could, we likely would run from them as fast as we could and as far away as we could possibly get. But Jesus knew this was coming. He knew the intensity of the suffering he was going to have to take, the complete humiliation. He knew all of it. Why would he agree to this? Because he loves us. He loves us with an unconditional love that we cannot completely understand. Our salvation is not based on anything we can say or do. It is based only on the work and the performance of Jesus. His death at the cross and his resurrection three days later. Jesus did this so that our relationship with God can be restored. And how do we get this free gift of salvation? We believe and trust in Jesus, the great sufferer who suffered in our place at the cross. So this morning, we've seen that God allows suffering in our life for two reasons. One is to benefit those around us. And through our suffering, we can comfort them and show them Jesus. And secondly, God allows us to experience suffering for our benefit. He shows us who the one and only comforter and deliverer is, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You and I are going to suffer. It's a given. And I think the question is not if we will suffer, but how we will suffer. Do you remember the missionary Elizabeth Elliot I mentioned earlier? Well, how did she suffer? Well, after a short stay back in the U.S. to adjust for the loss of her husband, Jim, she returned to Ecuador with her daughter, Valerie, to resume her missionary work. Three years after returning to Ecuador, Elizabeth and the wife of one of the other murdered missionaries began doing ministry work in the very village that the men who lived who had murdered their husbands. Through God's grace, the Alca village experienced spiritual transformation, and many of the Indians became convinced of the saving power of Christ, including some of the very men who had murdered Jim Elliott and his team. So how will we suffer? Well, my hope is that it would look a lot like how Elizabeth Elliott suffered, and that together we would suffer in a way 
that draws us closer to the great comforter and deliverer so that others might also know his comfort and his salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Through your word and through the difficulties and trials of suffering, you give us promises, promises that shall comfort us, promises that you'll show us who you are in the great comforter and deliverer. And it's our prayer, Father, that as we are exposed to suffering this next week, this next month, this next year, that we would be focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.